Star Wars Geek Girls They're geek girls that like Star Wars And sometimes cry
Thank you. Bye bye. What? Oh, thanks. Where's uh, the James Arnold too? He's going to make it because of a scheduling conflict. He posted on Facebook a couple of days ago. It's not the panel you're looking for. Well, we brought Fred Tattashore. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Fred Tattashore. Nice to see you. Freddie, why don't you tell them who you've played in the Star Wars universe? Bring him up to speed. <laughs> well, let me just get that out. Fred, well, right now, I'm Bolza Gruel in the new show. And uh, if you go to Disneyland, I'm Darth Vader, if you go meet him. And uh, General Tarples and a few of the other shows. I play Qui-Gon Jinn, the Zilla Beast, uh, the Slave, let me see, I had the name of it. Had it right here, you got me too early. This is what I was writing. Oh, sorry, you have a microphone. I thought you had You're one. You're sexy, so, but you don't get too much. Opal Rensis. <laughs> <laughs> Qui-Gon Jinn, General Tarpal, Zilla Beast, Bolza Gruel, uh, and then a lot of stuff for the games, a lot of Wookiee talk, and uh, other Jedi and Sith. So, it's great to see you guys. Or should I? I mean, it's very good to see you. <laughs> nice surprise, huh? Pretty good. Yeah, so we're, we're really sad that James and Vanessa could not be here with us. Uh, but they're out making money and stuff. No, so. Governor Price finally got all of them. <laughs> <laughs> we have nothing better to do, so we showed up. No, we love, we love you guys. Thank you for having us here. Um, I'm Steve Bloom. I, I play Zebrelios on Star Wars Rebels. And oh, thank you for that one person who knows. Good. <laughs> and one third of all the stormtroopers in the games and in uh, that show and in a couple of the movies now, too. I yeah. got to be in Solo and Rogue One. Um, I was actually one of the guys who said, kill them slower when Chewie and Han first met the each fight other. So, scene. Yeah, so favorite. another reason to hate me. Yes, yes. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is my Governor Price. Hello, I'm Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, and I play Governor Price in Star Wars Rebels. Oh, rebel scum. All of you. All of you. Impressive. Uh, I also play Freya Fenris in Star Wars Resistance, along with 4D Min uh, and Jukes, and I'm also Star Wars Resistance uh, voiceover director as well. So, yay! And that's Sabine. And that's Hi, Sabine. Sabine. I'm not Tia Sarkar, unfortunately. I'm Zoe, and I run the Star Wars Geek Girl podcast with Lizzie Perales, who is the first Sabine. Um, and I'm here with you guys today, which is well, cool. Thank you for having us. She's here to keep us out of jail, is, is basically <laughs> what that is. Yeah. Is there, is there a plan for this? I have questions. Oh, okay. Like we have answer a, questions. We have so answers. do I. Don't I make have a lot hard. of questions. Oh, also, also, we brought um, for the weirdest question from the audience later. Uh, if we get two really weird questions, we have two of these that we're going to sign for you guys, mm -hmm. okay? We also have some at our tables down in the dealer hall, yes. or up in the dealer hall. This is down. It's the upside down. I don't know if you've noticed that, but <laughs> we've been in there for a while now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, come yeah. visit us so, down there. If you want. Yeah, yeah, well, 15 minutes at the end, so think of questions now. Think of weird questions now, yes. apparently. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, so my first question is just, how did you get involved with Rebels? Like... How did that go for you? Well, I auditioned, uh, and I remember getting the audition and looking at it, and it was for something called Wolf. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then some of the dialogue had something, a description with a light sword, and I went, oh, 
well, that's interesting. And then at the end of the audition, the character was supposed to be choked by an unseeable force. And I remember turning to Steve going, I think this is for Rebels, because Steve had already been on it for, I think they'd, uh, this was for season three. So, uh, and I just said, Baba, I think this is for Rebels. And when I got the part, Dave Filoni came out, my first record, and came out in the lobby and he said, you know, Mary, you didn't get this because of Steve. You got it because of you. And I was like, oh, Dave, thanks. Good to know. He did the same thing for me when I uh, worked on Resistance recently. Uh, I, I auditioned for a part on the show. I played a trooper who just got beaten up over and over and over again, dragged around. And uh, they told me when I walked in the room, by the way, this has nothing to do with Mary. You, you actually got this on your own merits. We don't do that here. So, On your own yeah. merits. On my own merits, <laughs> yeah. Um, I found out the show similarly. It was called Wolf when I auditioned for it as well. And I didn't know it was Star Wars at the time. There, there were indications of troopers on the thing, but you see that in so many different things. And it looked like a military character that I was reading for. We didn't have pictures. We didn't have anything to go by even went to the callbacks at uh, Disney and uh, sitting in front of everybody from the Rebels crew and they're grilling me through this thing and I think at that time they probably told us it was for Star Wars but it just didn't sink in. It wasn't until I actually booked it. I happened to be in Birmingham, England for a Transformers convention and I get a phone call from my agent saying you need to go to a studio. We're gonna send you out to this studio at somebody's house out in the country uh, we're going to hire you a cab and just go out there and they'll have your script. And I didn't know what it was. I had forgotten about doing the audition for Rebels and it wasn't called Rebels still. And I go to this house and I'm lost in this neighborhood and this uh, sweet elderly couple comes out. They look like Ma, like an English version of Ma and Pa Kettle. Oh, right, right this way, dearie. Come on in. And they, they bring me into this, this studio on the second floor of their beautiful old home. And I walk up in there and there's no air conditioning and I'm sweating and they give me the headphones and Filoni is on the phone on the other side. And I just hear this voice that sounds familiar, but I didn't really know him very well. And he goes, okay, Steve, so um, we decided that we're gonna go with uh, whatever the, the accent was that we worked out at the time. We, we ran through a whole bunch of different accents. And he goes, and you're gonna be killing a stormtrooper. And I, and I see stormtrooper in the script as he's saying this, and all of a sudden I went, oh my God, this is Star Wars. <laughs> this is Star Wars! And the inner fanboy squeal must have been outward because they all laughed and, and uh, uh, it, it was amazing. So that's when it really set in that it was Star Wars and being a Star Wars fan since 1977, uh, that excitement never stopped. Every single time we did a session from that point forward, uh, I still felt that the same hairs on the back of the neck that I felt in 1977 when I first saw the Imperial Destroyer go overhead and felt the rumble. So um, anyway, it was, it was a really weird experience getting in, but it never got old. Freddie, what, what was your experience getting on the shows? Because you've worked on a bunch of the Star Wars shows. Clone yeah, Wars it's and Rebels. kind of the same as you. I love that. I'd love to know what else they record in, in, in Birmingham. Was that in Birmingham where you did that? That's so cool. Yeah. I, I, really, for me, it's just been, again, I'm a, such a huge fan. Uh, for me, it's just the same thing. It's just been auditions. You, you just try to, you know, you, 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 they send you a description. And again, you start to figure out what's what. Because you do see, they, I think they called the force the knowledge or something at one time. It's like, and now the knowledge is strong with him. I'm like, no, no, no. Because <laughs> um, they try to keep it, you know, under wraps. Uh, so for me, yeah, it was just uh, auditioning and, um, and my inner geek just 
you know, freaks out anytime I work on a video game or, or anything or someone asks you to do an iconic character or try to be a, a Wookiee for a number of projects, uh, you know, and, and what's weird is I had a project where they had, to, they had translations of what the Wookiee was saying. So you had to make up what, how that would like, okay, I'll meet you at the cargo bay. You know, um, I'm, I'm really upset about this. You know, and it, and it was, but, it, but I, do, I don't know if you guys found that like they're pretty loose about like yeah. even Huttese or anything. Like if you speak Klingon, you have to speak Klingon. This is really very, they're pretty open, which is very exciting. And uh, yeah, so that's just generally it, just being a, being around and auditioning. You know, that's so and funny. the three of us are old enough to have actually been in, at least the two of us are, to see it in 1977. Yeah, I was, I was very young, but I didn't understand. I was able to go into the theater, but I didn't quite understand the immense, like what exactly was happening. I was yeah. 17 and I didn't yeah. understand the immense, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what happened. Yeah. I didn't want to see a stupid space movie with an octopus in it, because they used to have like lobby uh, uh, pla lobby cards, lobby cards yeah. and they had the shot of, of Luke, you know, in the trash compactor oh, the trash with a thing around his neck, and I was like, is this like some octopus space movie? <laughs> because the original uh, 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 commercials for it, the trailers, didn't have John Williams' music, and it was, we've got a space adventure coming at you, and it was really cheesy music, and this thing wasn't color corrected. It just looked terrible, you yeah. know? So I was like, this looks awful, and we've waited three hours because it was sold out, you know? And <laughs> I was such a little jerk. And, uh, and then seeing it, I was just, that downbeat was it for me. It yeah, was we were just, all blown away. I don't yeah. think First I breathed was, for yeah. two minutes. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Never, yeah. ever dreamed that I would be a part of this universe. Oh, I know. It's pretty crazy. It's really true. Yeah. It's funny what you were saying about the Wookiee thing, is I spoke Aqualish and Hatties yes. for uh, a bunch of different projects, and, and I wanted to get it right, and I was doing all my research online, and they said, no, we don't care, just make it up, it's yeah, okay. You, you have to say certain lines, right? There are certain, certain things, yeah. things that, like, uh, nakota, like certain yeah. things. Poodoo. Yeah. There has to be a Bantha poodoo in there. Poodoo yeah. has to be very mm -hmm. correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that kind yeah. of crap. Yeah, lots I, I, of phlegm. It's funny, weird having to play a uh, version of Jabba that spoke basic, that spoke English. Yeah. you know, because they realize, oh no, some of them do actually speak. Yeah. basic. You know, they, they just have chosen not to. You know, yeah. like, you know yeah. if you've seen the the Star Wars Resistance trailer for our next and final season, you will see that we have a new hut on the show who does actually speak English. Yeah. Yeah, it's, which it's is pretty thing. great. I want the Wookiees, though, to be like, I speak it true. But truth not true. It sounds like Hebrew. It does. That's, that's it does. Cool, yeah. it, sounds like it sounds like you're underwater. Underwater Wookiees. Did, did we even answer your question? I don't even remember what it was. Anymore. Yes. Yeah, you did. Is the panel over? <laughs> did we talk all the way through it? Okay, fire away. Sorry. Sorry. All right, well, that's fine. Um, my next question was, how did you prepare? I know you said you work through different accents. So, like, what kind of preparation did you do? Like, I know you said, like, too, like, the lines. So, like, mm. when you go for a role, what do you work through, I guess? Uh, for me, it's an organic process. I look at the words in whatever direction I'm given. Hopefully, if they give you a picture, it creates pictures in my mind, and I just build something around that. For Zeb, uh, the original direction, I think, was 
they wanted something that sort of sounded European-ish, and he was a big hulking character. That's all they really told me. He was a soldier. So I started with like a real thick Cockney accent. Then I brought that into the studio for the callbacks, and they said, yeah, that's great, but nobody will understand what you're saying. <laughs> so they ran me through German and Russian and French and Italian. We, we went through a whole bunch of different accents, and what we landed on was basically a, a crappy South London with a little bit of Australian sprinkled in. And uh, it just seemed to work for the character. We, by that time, we actually had a model of the character to look at. And it, the way he walked, the way he moved, there had to be something that rhythmically would work with his cadence, too. He's almost simian, the way he, mm -hmm. he functions. So this worked pretty efficiently for him. I could take my beats and pauses when I needed to, that sort of thing. And he cussed a lot, but, you know, the Disney-friendly cuss word of carabast. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but we, we ran it through with uh, the pieces of dialogue that they gave us at the callback. I think we ran it through probably 20 or 30 times before we settled on what ultimately they used for him. And Governor Price, all the Imperials were always English, you know. So my yeah. grandfather was English, so I've been messing around with that accent for a long time. But her level of arrogance... <laughs> Uh, and condescension um, was, un it was one of the easiest characters I've ever had to play. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, all I had to do was stand there like this and all of a sudden Governor Price came into view. And it was so easy, it was really scary. Like, I was like, this is like, she has an iPad for torture. This is awesome. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, there's something wrong with me that this is, it's, it's really one of the easiest characters for me to get into that I've ever, ever played. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. It's just because, it's... you know, I just thought of that rod strategically placed up at the bum, you know, and I'm just like, well, that's Governor Price, isn't it? And just all this, I, I don't know, it was so much fun. It's so much fun to tap into someone just that embracingly evil, that she just loved it. She didn't apologize for it. And there was a very, there, it, like, I feel like the villains are really easy to play sometimes because their intentions are so clear. There is no conflict. That's just like she wants power. And the only conflict comes from when she can't get it. And that makes her angry. And like Hulk, you don't want to see Governor Price when she gets angry. For those of you who don't know, Fred is also the Hulk. I've seen you angry. <laughs> don't want to do it. No. <laughs> but for her, I mean, it was just very simple to sort of go, just rather Helen Mirren, British, you know, and I'm a huge Downton Abbey fan, so I just sort of, you know. Oh, there was a great, who was it? Oh, it was in uh, Sense and Sensibility. Do you, have you guys seen that, the Emma Thompson version of Sense and Sensibility? Uh, and this, one of the sisters was sort of very, you know, the, and she had this awful sort of arrogance to her, and it was very nasal. So I kind of placed it in there instantly, and that was it. Governor Price. Evil. <laughs> And we do so opposite you in so many ways, and I love how easy it is it, that you got to go into it. Well, except for yeah. the torture part. That well, no, she, no, really, I know. she likes that. Yeah. That's why I'm a director. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. What about you? What about me? Yeah. Uh, how, how do I get into certain yeah. voices? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, well, let's see. For Bolza, well, we worked together on yeah. that, and so it was just really trying to find. For that one, it was helpful to know who else was, in, what are the other characters were, because I wanted to kind of do something that was different. Because I play a lot of very big voice characters and stuff, and and kind of understand where his humor was, because a lot of it is he just. It, it's almost like his downfall or his demise kind of led 
as opposed to a vocal thing. It was more of an attitude. Like he's selling these things. He doesn't quite know what they do, but uh, maybe it'll work out. And there's a kind of a weird heart of gold he has, but he's really definitely the comic relief in many ways. So he's kind of um, frustrated mostly, but mm, he can be led to something positive. But, you know, I'm just kind of aggravated. You kind of just take a color and go with it, you know, and then see where, where, it, where it leads. Uh, for him, it was finding how low he was going to be and how angry, you know, yeah. and at what. You know yeah. what I mean? He could he'll he'll beat the you know beats the stuffing out of somebody, but uh, uh, he's kind of a you, chicken. It was also you and D Baker together yeah. in the same room. So you had little D doing this kind of voice. And yeah, so he's kind giant. of in here. Yeah, and they were perfect balance. Kind of a mutton Jeff, like just shut up already. Let's just do this thing. You know, and it was kind of so that was kind of where the voice came out. I was trying to trans, uh, see what would be the balance between other. Uh, other folks like yeah. D, especially because we're together. So yeah, I was a, that for that character, and then for some of the others, uh, I, I I'm voice match like for for Qui-Gon Jinn. I was just you know become that uh, what I knew from Liam. You know, <laughs> you know, just that was like. Uh, um, let me think. For Zilla Beast, it was a, just a big creature. I had to do, and General Tarpals, of course, I had to base it on what the Gungans sort of sound like, but just sort of make it my own and make him a little different, yes. And calm and, and heroic. So it was more like emotional beats, really, that led the voice, really. So this is sort of bouncing off what you said about uh, D. Baker. Uh, is there a character that you like to work with, like as Price or Zeb, that you thought was fun to act with, act, bounce off of? Well, Clancy Brown and I used to get in the studio all uh, together all the time, which is really fun because I direct him on Tangled. Uh, so to actually be on the same side of the glass together was so much fun because we give each other so much grief. So I always loved when Clancy and I would be in the booth together because they would always throw random X-Wing pilots. And Clancy's one line was, no, 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 explosion. And I was like... Clancy, there's only one way to read this line. And he said, what? And I was like, no, no, no! You know, so Clancy actually read it that way. And it was really, really fun. Uh, so really, so much, it's not so much other... Uh, being part of the Empire, and they would always bring me in uh, with the rest of uh, the Rebels, the Rebel scum. Uh, and they would Watch put... It. You know, it would be, you know, Freddie and Vanessa and Tia and Taylor and Steve, and then I would be over separated in the same room, but all the way over on the other side. And I think that was a conscious effort on their part to separate me from this really tight family. And at the end of season four, the guilt that I had sitting in there, knowing what my character, and I won't spoil it for anybody that hasn't seen it, but knowing what my character had done to disrupt the other side of the room was really, it affected me really deeply. You know, it was, it was, it was hard, but I loved when we were all in the room together. I mean, there's nothing like that. Yeah, the casting of that show was kind of genius. Uh, and Dave Filoni, uh, he's a genius in every area, but that was one of the, the areas that I think was particularly effective because we were that family that you saw on that show. We became that family. Uh, I felt like I was the big brother to Ezra, and Taylor and I still have that relationship. Every time I see him, I want to give him a noogie. Uh, and Vanessa is Hera. She was our, our den mother. She was the, the protector of all of us and kind of the glue that held us all together. And Freddie is, you know, our Jedi master. 
Uh, he's also got that lunatic side of him, but, but he is my brother too. We, we, and, and Sabine also, little sister. We, we really became that family. So anytime we got to work together as a cast, um, that, that alchemy, that chemistry was always there. And we had so many amazing guest stars that would come in and out of there too. Uh, I think my, f my favorite of, of all was probably Jim Cummings' Hondo. Uh, yeah. Just because sometimes they, they would let him go off on an ad-lib tangent and he'd just be hilarious. And now he's part of uh, Galaxy's Edge. Uh, if you guys get a chance to go to Disney, either in Orlando or in LA, and, and check out Galaxy's Edge, he is the voice that you will hear as you're about to go on that ride. I don't want to spoil any of that for you, but there's an amazing full-body animatronic of his character that is, is just magical. It feels like we're doing the show all over again from the very beginning. Um, but they gave us opportunities also. When we had really important scenes with other characters, they made sure that we were together in the booth as much as possible. And that doesn't always happen these days because of everybody's schedules. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember that episode... Um, where Zeb and Callus were together on that moon. Um, they actually had us in the room, and I was working with uh, David uh, for that. And he was a very uh, quiet actor to work with. He's an on-camera, classically trained actor, and just wonderful to work with. But they, that chemistry really brought out something in both of us that, that brought that to a different level, I think. And I've, I've never experienced that on a cartoon where we get to explore something like that in an enemy mind kind of situation where we're really discovering the, the awfulness of our pasts and, and merging them and finding some commonality. And so it, it transcended being a cartoon at that point and it went someplace much deeper and much more powerful. So uh, there were so many moments on that show that, that were like that. Um, amazing, comedic, wonderful, hilarious things that happened in the studio too, <laughs> but also powerful, transcendent, personal things. Oh, if you go to Galaxy's Edge, too, save up and do the lightsaber experience. Yeah. It's everything I wanted Harry Potter wand experience to be. It's amazing. It's magical. It's fantastic. Yeah, and build a droid. Yeah, you got to build a droid. Like, spoil yourself like a guilty dad. It's worth it. It's so much fun. Seriously, it is so, so much fun and fully immersive. Fully immersive. It's, there's nothing like seeing the Millennium Falcon right in front of you life-size, there it is. It's kind of awesome. And ask the cast members about their backstories, because everybody there on, yeah. on Batu has created a backstory for themselves, and they will tell you. They like to share that stuff, and they will never break character. It's an nope. amazing thing. They don't know what Disney is. They're like, what is this mouse you speak of? Yeah. This is Batu. <laughs> I know not what you think. Yeah. I've never been anywhere else. Yeah. The force is with this mouse, yes. yes. <laughs> Um, so what do you feel, being Rebels cast members, all of you, do you feel Rebel, Rebels has had like, an impact on Star Wars like, as a whole? What impact do you feel like that is? Well, as a fan, uh, seeing this in the 70s, I was an apathetic teen just graduating high school when the first movie came out. And I remember at that point in my life, I didn't really care about anything. I was just, I hated everyone. I hated everything. I just wanted to get out of school and, and do stupid stuff. And then I saw this movie, and it actually gave me something to care about. I was so excited. It was something completely different. It, it kind of shifted my perspective of what a film could be. And then all these years later, to work on something like Rebels that was actually real connective tissue for the franchise, it filled in a lot of the questions that I had growing up and watching the movies. Um, and with such a love and an affinity for... Um, 
everything that had come before, including all the Ralph McQuarrie designs that they incorporated into it. Um, the design for Zeb was the original Wookiee. And uh, he was basically a hairless version of that. And they actually made an action figure of that from Ralph McQuarrie's original design with the hair on it. And if somebody gave me one of those. I have it sitting on my desk. So to get to work on a, uh, a piece of uh, Star Wars canon history that, that really helps to complete the story on that level is just an incredible humbling honor uh, just to, to be a little part of that. I felt also the cast was so well balanced. There was such a wonderful diversity among the cast, and and that's you know carried itself forward into Resistance and into now the stories of Ray and Poe and and uh, Finn. And it's it, it just seems like the there was there's always been sort of creature diversity in Star Wars, but Rebels was really the first one that now started to build it even more and more and more culturally and, and you know, representative of, of humans in that respect, too, which I thought was fantastic. And there's nothing like being part of something that is a bridge between two times. And to see all, what I love what they do with the animation is that they're filling in the gaps in between and linking it all up. So, you know, just like with uh, Marvel's universe of starting with Iron Man and going to Endgame, you could start with Phantom Menace and go all the way through and include animation and go all the way to where we are now with multiple uh, animated series. It's, it's kind of an amazing... And they're starting to cross things over into the movies too. Yeah. Chopper yeah. showed up and the ghost showed up and you yep. hear Hera's voice in the movies. And I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, we've got Leia on Resistance and Poe and uh, you'll see uh, all kinds of new characters as well, so... Yeah, you mentioned connective tissue, yeah. and it's a perfect, no, that's a perfect uh, analogy for it, because it, it makes the movies, and, and if you're into the books, or the comic books, or the games, all of that stuff, and Rebels is just a huge part of that, and it really does make everything a little bit more meaningful, and the story even more meaningful. It, it's a great story, and it just keeps getting deeper and deeper the more you look at it, and I think that's what I love that the franchise has allowed that to happen. Yeah. You know, it's really been great. Well, and a lot of that and is an due, honor to be part of it. A lot of that is due to Dave Filoni and who was mentored by George Lucas directly. And so he he his love for him and his love for his vision uh, is just apparent in everything he does. Every single thing that you saw in that show was well thought out and discussed to the point of uh, a fruit being introduced into the universe when the Melu runs. I don't know if you guys remember that episode. When they uh, first introduced that fruit, we had, I think, an, at least an hour, maybe a two-hour discussion on how to pronounce it, because we thought that once we did, that's canon. We've got to get that right. And they actually, to the point where people are having trouble pronouncing it first, especially in that one session, they actually brought in a dry erase board with a phonetic spelling of it. Sure. <laughs> but it was that kind of detail. These guys, we, we were booked for four-hour sessions, and sometimes Dave would come in and talk to us for an hour. Another full hour was a nerd battle behind the glass on, on the other side with all the executives deciding how something should be pronounced. And that's when we should say it's different dialect. My part of, the yeah. uh, my part of that planet says it differently. You, you know, what, you wish you could kind of get away with that. Which is what they ended up doing for everything in the Star Wars yeah. universe yeah. anyway. Everything is pronounced. Leah, Leia, Han, potato, Han, potato. Yeah. 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 yeah, everything. Millennium Falcon, the Millennium Falcon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Joe. Joe. Joa. <laughs> Dirth Vader. Dirth Voder. Yeah. So, sort of speaking of how everything is connected, I think all of you have voice characters that have appeared in books and comic books. So how much do you keep up with your character in those kind of things, even after the show is over? 
absolutely zero. <laughs> sorry. I'm very sorry. I haven't had time to read up on it. I will when I retire. <laughs> but I've not. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Timothy, what's Timothy's last Zahn. Zahn. Timothy Zahn, Zahn yeah. wrote uh, uh, the book on Thrawn. Thrawn uh, and it had all of Governor Price's backstory. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. We finished recording that character last week. <laughs> you know, so it was fun to sort of go back and realize, oh, oh, okay. I didn't know any of this. Uh, and Henry Gilroy, one of our writers, was actually one who came in and said, they didn't make her mean enough <laughs> compared to how we, you know. But uh, it was interesting to read the justification for everything, all of her actions later on after actually finishing recording it. So. I have a quick question before he answers. Do you ever, like, when you're reading the book, do you just read the lines aloud in her voice ever? Of course. <laughs> but she's, heck, I read half the, half the lines of my day for as Governor Price. That's the weird thing about voiceover is that there's always, you know, <laughs> someone going, well, aren't you snarky? You know, I mean, I don't know. There's just that we all have all these characters living within us and yeah. just can't help it. We're just looking for a venue to get them out and <laughs> without being arrested, you know? <laughs> Probably the only reason we're not mass murderers because we have a way to get this out of our heads. So you voiced a lot of characters. Yeah. So, yeah. I do. I, I will try to do the research. Wikipedia is a very big friend of mine. Yeah. You end up looking up the stuff, uh, especially if you're doing like, a, you know, a Qui-Gon Jinn or, or something that's like a, a, an iconic character that you really should know. Uh, but if you really follow it, I love the books. I love the comic books. I'm kind of a geek that way. So you really you do start to fill in the blanks. But after the fact, sometimes when there's a new character or like a solo character, I, I didn't. I have to remember the name. You know, like, what was that? Oh, that's him. That's his name. Okay, what did he do? You know, I try to get as much info as I can before going in. And then, uh, yeah, it, it's neat to try to look it up later and go, oh, oh, he's a bastard. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So this is a fun question. Um, if there, you could pick a book that's just about your character, a book or comic, what part of their life would you want it to be about? I'd want the prequel uh, to where Zeb, uh, you know, where, where his people were decimated. I'd like to know what his life was like as a young Lasat, honestly, on, on his planet, when there still was something there. Um, we just get little uh, flashes of it in his dialogue and in his conversations, but I, I really feel like I don't know enough about what happened prior to the time that he ended up on the ghost. I don't know, the book was pretty uh, inclusive. Maybe her, her teenage years, <laughs> Governor Price, the teenage years. Uh, she, was, she was her dating life. She was probably a mean girl. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the, what's nice is that there is so much stuff. Uh, now, Freya, I have no idea at all about any of her, except that she's sort of over everything. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think the teenage years, the teenage years of, of Price would be great. <laughs> For most of my characters, I just want to ask, who hurt you? <laughs> you know, like, Bolza, what happened? I want to meet Bolza's mom. You know, I want to know what, uh, General Tarples would be a real interesting comic book. Uh, I'd love to know, just in general, I would love a prequel to everything. I'd love to know, like, what, what happened with the Sith and the Jedi. I know we have a, a great Palpatine book, you know, and all that. I'm, I'm, I'm so fascinated with how did this 
force thing get generated and why, you know, did some people take it on differently? I would love to see, see something like that. I know people are sometimes get scared of prequels, but I'd love to see that book. You yeah, know, just like was it the Yoda ever, story. Let's see that. What? Was it ever a whole and then got split in mm -hmm. two into dark and light? Was there ever a time in the force where it was, com and maybe you guys can answer this, this yeah. where it was completely balanced and it had both sides converged or, or... Well, the or... Sith are very old. The Sithari, it's an ancient, ancient thing, and they weren't all bad. Yeah. You know, it wasn't until a later time, in Bane's time, where we had to have one person have all the power. Yeah. So some people using their passion, it wasn't necessarily a terrible thing. So, you know, like so there's the, many like uses the of the force. Not What's all that? of them. They're like the Lannisters. Not yes. all of them were bad. That's right. Just most of them. That's right. Yeah. Then the, the, the Jedi were an order that came. You know, so it's like, I just, I'm just curious, like, what was Yoda's story? You know, that would love yeah. to see that. I would know? love to hear the story of the Sith when it was, when it wasn't this evil yeah. darkness, yeah. you know, and how it actually became that. That would mm -hmm. be fascinating. So get out Darth, there and write Darth this Bane, stuff, everybody. people. Yeah. That was Bane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah tons. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. It's Sith Light. Sith Light. <laughs> Darth Fred. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of gentler Sith. Yes. <laughs> With <Okay>. soft hands. <laughs> well, my next question was just how, you've sort of touched on this already, but how Rebels and working on Rebels into Star Wars is different than maybe other things you've worked on, because you have like the longest IMDb I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> so you've all worked on other projects. It's, it's different because it was one of the very few things, I think there was Looney Tunes and there was Star Wars that affected me that deeply when I was younger. And uh, to be able to work in that franchise and to, to know that whatever little contribution I'm making in that is part of canon is kind of an amazing thing, because I know it's going to live forever. Um, and I never know that about anything else that I'm working on. Uh, there's so many shows that I've worked on over the last 30 years that still I don't know if anybody's ever seen them. And I'm surprised when they do. Um, but Star Wars is just one of those things. It's, uh, there's a reverence for the franchise that uh, I feel and a responsibility to the franchise to give everything that I have. Even if, I only, if I'm playing a stormtrooper with a five minute lifespan, I want that to really feel right. And and I'll do it, I'll scream as many times as they want me to to make sure that that happens, whether it's in the games or in the shows. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's what really differentiates it from everything else, and just that level of care. I've never been on another show where the, the director of the show will actually come in and talk about not only the arc of what's going to happen for our characters, but how it affects society, because this is a cultural phenomenon, and what his vision is, and what George's vision for this franchise initially was, and how it's our responsibility to carry it forward with that same intention. So that's rare in what we do. We don't see that a lot. We don't have time. We just don't have time or the money to do that. that uh, time is money. We walk into that studio, usually it's like, all right, you've got two hours, here's your lines, let's get through it as fast as we can. We'll give you as much context as we can and go. With this, it's like, no, we've, we have to get it right because there are going to be people loving and hating this for centuries to come. <laughs> yeah, it's our mythology. Yeah. You know, they were all yeah. students of Joseph Campbell. Yeah. You know, yeah. both him Tol you know, and Tolkien. They just, all of those guys really wanted to have a long-lasting mythology and see, you know, for yeah. people to be into it for a long time and you want to do it justice, absolutely. Well, yeah. and Dave used to say also, he said that, you know, probably half of our audience is going to hate it, but they're still going to watch it. 
So he wants to make it just as valuable for them too, to, to hate as hard as they want to on it because it's still of value in, in terms of the culture of this. Yeah, to be a part of a culturally connective tissue, which is what Star Wars is, what great stories really are. Uh, and it connects us on a, uh, a global level more so than politics, more so than anything sometimes. And to be a, a, just a tiny little part of that, you've got to treat it with respect and fun. And, uh, but it, it has to be treated with respect and, and a little bit of awe. Aww. Aww. Well, and, and also, uh, it's one of those shows where the, the stars of the original um, portion of the franchise are like, like superheroes to us. I mean, we, I've, I think all of us have worked with Mark Hamill a lot, and every time I see him, I just kind of go, oh my God, I'm working with Luke Skywalker. It turns into the Chris Farley show. You remember Star Wars? That's cool, right? It's crazy. I, I worked on a bunch of episodes on regular show with him, sitting next to him, and they partnered us, partnered us up. They do that often. And I still, every single time I walk into the room with him, I still have that same feeling. And with Billy D. Williams, and we see him at some of the, con some of the conventions and things, and, and I rode in planes with him. And every time I would sit near him, I would just have that same little eight-year-old fan <laughs> eight fanboy squee inside. Carrie Fisher, we, yeah. when she was on the con circuit, we all got to meet her back then. And um, crazy, but you know, it's just an amazing thing. If you get uh, hugged by her, you were covered in um, glitter. glitter. And she just had this crazy eccentric way about her, but she's a superhero to me. Yeah, yeah. she um, was like, I grew up, you know, Disney princesses, everybody needs to be rescued by a man. And all of a sudden, <laughs> Carrie Fisher comes along with Princess Leia. And I was like, a finally a kick but amazing princess. Like, she was my princess, and she still is. You know, there's nothing like her. You know, it's just she needed to be rescued, and then she's going to rescue you right back. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an equal opportunity. And everybody. And everybody. I yeah. mean, it's just, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you were talking about like how it connects all of us. So, as a cast member, what was your first interaction with the fandom like? Once you were in the cast. Ooh, I think it was Star Wars Celebration for me. I think. Star Wars. Oh, yeah, Celebration was your first. Yeah, because I I went with uh, to Star Wars Weekends in Florida with Steve before I was on the show, and then I went to Star Wars Celebration in Orlando, and that kind of blew my brain apart because I was there as much, if not more so, of a fan than I was as a character. I just kept looking around. They're like, you have to sign. You have to go somewhere and actually work. And I'm like, but I, I don't want to. I want to I wanna go and look. And look, there's Harrison Ford and George Lucas. And, ah, you know? Uh, so it, it's kind of amazing to be as much of a fan of something that I'm working on as everybody around me. So uh, I end up just... Blah, 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 you know, I mean, <laughs> I have no words for it, but I think it was Star Wars Celebration, which was being thrown into the deep end of fandom, uh, which was pretty fantastic. And people coming up and just, there's nothing better than somebody coming up and saying, I hate you for what you did. And I'm like, thank you so much. <laughs> it means a lot. It Mission means I've made a difference. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, for me, just before I had my first fan experience, uh, Dee Bradley Baker came into the studio uh, it was one of our last records before they had the first Star Wars weekends that I had attended. And he goes, um, he, he had just, he had been part of Clone Wars. He played all the clones in Clone Wars and a million other things. And he goes, uh, I really hope you take this in because your life is about to change. 
I went, really? Really? I know it's Star Wars and stuff, but really? What do you mean? He goes, you'll find out. And the next weekend, I went to Star Wars weekends, and Rebels hadn't even aired yet. They just started doing a little promo for it. They had a little teaser out. And we go to Star Wars weekends, and they put me in this convertible with a picture of Zeb on the side, and I got to ride in the parade, and I'm waving to people who have never seen my character do anything. And they were, there was so much love from the beginning of the parade all the way to the end of the parade, and for that whole weekend, they just showered us with love, not knowing if they were even going to like it. Um, so uh, to, to be part of something like that on that level, it was so humbling just to see how connected the fans were. And they, it's a global connection, too. There are people there from all over the world. And there was one family that um, would come and they would do a, uh, a family reunion at Disney. And they would all dress up in Star Wars characters. And from grandma, who was like 90-something years old in a wheelchair, to brand new babies. And they had like 50, 60, 70 people in this family. And they insisted that I was part of their uh, tradition. And they sat me down and right in front, and they surrounded me, and they took this big family photo. And so I'm part of their history, too, just because I had something to do with Star Wars before they even knew if they liked or hated my character. And that, that was an anomaly to me. I had no idea that that was happening. And to, and to be part of a parade at Disney, I mean, I got to do the, the wave. It was, it was crazy. It was just crazy. Yeah, I'm sorry to repeat, but uh, yeah, it just uh, to be a fan of something as much as the other fans are is really astonishing. So I can sit in there and talk to you guys about it for forever. And uh, the Star Wars fans are uh, the the best. They're like the anime. They like know everything about every character and what's going on. It's it's just the it's it's truly amazing. It really is. Yeah, yeah. and an honor. Yeah. Do you ever get intimidated? Because I feel like Star Wars fans can be known for like being nitpicky. So do you ever get like intimidated by that? The, the great thing about my character is that he doesn't really know anything. So I don't have to know anything. It's fantastic. And when I do, there's always an expert around that I can defer to. So I was the comedy relief on the show. So it made my job real easy. I was so grateful for that role. If I, I think if I had to, uh, it, not had to, if I got to perform a character uh, as intense as Kanan, for example, I would have to be more well-versed in the universe. And Freddie Prince Jr. is a Star Wars geek, so he could handle that really well at conventions. And Worst Wookiee ever. You know? Yeah. Well, and also they're very protective of the franchise, too, so um, when we would do Star Wars panels, I think this is the first uh, Star Wars panel we've ever done that didn't have to go through the whole permission process. And so when fans would come at us like that, we would have the buffer of Dave Filoni, who was really great at deflecting everything. And so it really wasn't a problem for me. I haven't really gotten much hate, yeah. fortunately. I know that, that some of us have uh, in, the, in the cast, but I personally haven't. Everybody, it's, it's all seemed to be love, unless they're just not telling me. Yeah, that's been my experience, too. No, I get a lot of hate, but for the right reasons. Good right. It's good hate. You deserve it. You know, I do. I do. And if if anybody ever comes at me, I'm just like, I just call them rebel scum and call over a stormtrooper and escort them away. You know, it's very easy. I did my job. I did my job today. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I think, are we about 15 minutes out now? So we'll start taking some... Some fan questions, if anybody I has remember, the some... weirdest question gets a poster! We have two of them. Yeah. Yeah. We have a mic runner, so... Turn on the microphone, please. 
Hi, I have a question for Mary. Sure. Um, I thought it was really interesting to hear you say that Price was such an easy character for you because she was just evil. Mm. Um, one of my favorite things, though, about that Thrawn novel was how much it rounded her out. Yeah. Um, and I know you, you just said that that all came out after you were done, but have you, did you ever give it any thought afterwards about how you might have played that character any differently, maybe in the last season, if you had that kind of information? Well... It was interesting because when we were doing it, and I, I'm not going to get into politics, but uh, it was during uh, the campaign, and it was really interesting to see a woman running, and I, and I just sort of equated myself to what would it be like to be a woman who, had, who wanted nothing but power uh, and, uh, and was ineffective at, at keeping it. And what kind of anger would that create? And I didn't know the backstory as to why that was so important to her. And now knowing it, I, I really don't. I mean, she was, the, the one thing, again, it's all about intention. And her intentions were very clear. From the minute she walked into Moff Tarkin's office, she knew exactly what she wanted and she knew how to do it. And that's why she wanted, I think it was the Ninth Fleet, to give to Thrawn and everything else um, to get this power. Um, I don't think, because even if Henry and the writers didn't give her a sympathetic moment and that didn't give her a moment really of vulnerability except in her own world of being ineffective. And there's nobody more dangerous than somebody that wants power that is ineffective at it, that's still in a position of power. So that's kind of how I played her at the time. And I don't think I would I really don't think I would change it because it would have changed the dynamic of everything else around me and around the character and around the happenstance of what occurred. So I, no, I think I would have played her exactly the same, you know? Thank you. You're welcome. So this question is for Steve, who I'm glad I, I can say is older than I am. Uh, <laughs> Rub it in. So, uh, voice actors typically can point back to some mentor like uh, Mel Blanc or Frank Oz or even Edgar Bergen. And I was wondering uh, who you would point back to as the person who influenced you the most toward becoming a voice actor. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, well, I was a huge Mel, uh, Mel Blanc fan um, before I even knew that it was humans doing that when I actually believed those characters were real. Uh, I was a fan without even knowing it back then. So he, he was probably the most impactful as a child. Um, once I realized that this actually was a viable profession, because I didn't know, uh, I fell into this accidentally. Uh, the ones that I looked up to were people like Frank Welker, uh, because I started in creature work and I was fascinated by his abilities, his, just his amazing skill set. And uh, I think the thing that really solidified him as uh, sort of an unwitting mentor was working with him on Scooby-Doo. I got to, to work with him on Scooby-Doo. And walking into that room with Casey Kasem still in the cast, and uh, it was just an amazing experience walking in there. But the thing that really solidified it for me was not only was he brilliant, but he's kind. And uh, we find that to be true throughout our industry. Most people are. Uh, but Frank, the very first day I met him, we. We recorded and then we went on a little break 
And I came up to him and I had to have my little fanboy moment with him. And I said, I, I love your work. And I, I didn't even realize you, you voiced Free Willy and Flit and, all, and the Cave of Wonders and all these amazing things in all the Disney movies. And you're just a hero to me. I, I started in creature work and I, I, I'll never be able to do a lot of the stuff that you do, but you're just a hero to me. And he, he said, you know what? He goes, here's my phone number. This, this can be a really difficult business. And if you ever have any problems or questions, or if you ever just want a little advice here, contact me. And we've stayed friends since then. Um, so he had a huge impact on my life. People like Fred, uh, just one of the kindest humans on the planet. When I first saw him work, I was blown away by just the, just the um, innate ability that he has as a, a genius voice actor, but also an unparalleled kindness. Uh, Fred and I, I consider... Back at you. I consider him to be my brother, honestly. And, that, and we have, we're fortunate to have relationships like that with, with people that are technically our peers, but um, he does so much that I can't do, and I'm just fascinated and uh, well, in a state of awe uh, when, when I get to watch him. Dee Bradley Baker's another one um, uh, because he's a creature god also, and he's one of those other guys that, like Fred, I'm paired with him often. Uh, in, in our roles, we play brothers, uh, and just to be able to sit in a room and watch them come up with something amazing, and then they'll share their whole heart and their whole life and take the shirt off their back if you need it in real life too. Those are the mentors that I like to surround myself with, and, and that's why I, I think I landed in voiceover, period. I worked in, in the music industry and in film before, and people are mean, they're just mean. And in our end of the industry, we, we really look out for each other. So um, I could say that about another 200 people in our circle uh, that had equal impact. Her, uh, director of Cowboy Bebop. She was, yeah, directed me in my very first leading role. And she taught me how to act when she didn't have to. Uh, and, and, and really helped me to find my own vulnerability as a person besides as an actor, and that transformed my whole life. She's now my fiance in real life, by the way. <laughs> I yeah, don't so. deserve him, because I play yeah. evil really easily. <laughs> but pretty good living with one of your mentors, and it's pretty good. You end up, and we fight a lot on, we'll, we'll be battling each other a lot, but we end up being best friends. And yeah. <laughs> we had a running, running tally of who, which creature ate who. Yeah. You know, so it'll be, I'll be the dragon, he'll be the knight one time, and, and vice versa. We had a tally of who ate who. Yeah. You know, it sounds crazy, but it was true. <laughs> he ultimately wins, though, because as my dragon eats him, he actually cuts himself out of my body. So he actually wins the debate, anyway. Yeah, we would show up at sessions. We were working on a lot of shows together for a while there. And, and in a, every single time, I think, er, almost every yeah. session for a while, one of us would walk into the room and say, I ate you today. No! Sorry, go on. Were... No, I'm done. I, I went way over time. Sorry. All right, uh, first weird question. Um, supposedly, if all three of you were in a... Um, golf tournament and you could pick out a character as your caddy from any of your uh, voice acting repertoire, who would it be? You win this for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we'll sign, we'll sign. sign that. Come by the table, we'll sign it for you. Oh my god, it's amazing. Wow. Caddy. Uh, wow. Which character of ours would we choose would as a caddy? caddy? Oh. Uh, 
Liron from Gurren Lagann. Yeah, I think Motoko, because she would have a tachikoma filled with scotch. So, you know, and clubs, I suppose, you know, but yeah. Just need a Zilla beast being my caddy would be just grab, you know, and just destroy the field. <laughs> that's awesome. Great question. Great question. Yeah, that's definitely the weirdest one so far. Um, as voice actors, how do you determine your range? How do you determine like what characters you're going to try and undertake, and and you know, do you gravitate towards certain types of characters or things based on your vocal range or your capabilities, or do you train to go out of that box and try and do something totally different? Yeah, I think it's in it, you know, in terms of sustainability in an industry that is constantly being inundated with more and more people wanting to do it, that it's really up to us to stretch our instrument to see how far we can go with it, you know? So, because uh, sometimes directors and producers don't really know, they have an idea of what they want, but they'll hear something that all of a sudden, huh, I didn't expect that. I was supposed to, like the ingenue is supposed to have a high voice, and all of a sudden, she's going to have this sort of deeper, scratchy thing. And whoa, that's sort of interesting. So I think it's up to us as actors to continue to stretch ourselves, uh, not only vocally, but also in terms of style. Because the industry is constantly changing from very crazy cartoony to uber naturalistic to heightened cinematic. So we need to be able to be flexible enough to adapt to the industry uh, to be a part of that. Um, so yeah, and you can do that through training. You can sit at home and watch TV and parrot the voices that you hear. Um, there are many, many different ways uh, to stretch yourself as an actor. So yeah, and I think in the rule book is audition for everything because you never know um, what will hit and what will stick and what won't. Yep. Uh, one of the things that I, this is, that's a great question. I, I talk about this with my students at bloomboxstudios.com. I have cards at my table. Uh, no, I accidentally started teaching. We'll talk about that later. Um, but one of the things that I talk about with my students in the very beginning of their voice acting career is I, I tell them to remember to play. Uh, I think that's something that a lot of us forget as adults. We just forget to play because it's, it's kind of beaten out of us. You know, you got to be serious. You got to buckle down. You got to do this. All that's great, but you got to remember to play every single day. So, as an actor, whether it's a voice actor or on camera or on stage, I think we have to be willing to take risks and try stuff that is uncomfortable for us. Even if it's not something that we can do professionally, there are a lot of things that I, I can't do. I'm not a very good impressionist, for example, but I'll shoot for it, and sometimes I get new characters out of it. Uh, in fact, that's the way I create a lot of new characters, is by doing a terrible impression. And it's usually my bad impression of one of our friends doing an impression of somebody. And it becomes a brand new character. So I think that you have to be kind of fearless and be willing to look stupid and, and, and be terrible. Uh, D. Bradley Baker has said you have to be willing to suck. <laughs> it's like music. Yeah. yeah. And like so leap into the pool of failure because yeah. it's the only way you learn. Fail spectacularly. Get out there and just face plant over and over and yeah. over because at some point it's going to pay off. Yeah. And fortunately now we have the advantage of doing auditions at home. Uh, back in the day, we would be going out to a studio and doing the auditions live. Now we do it at home in our own studios. Most people have their own studio. And uh, I'll sometimes, even if it's something that I don't feel like I'm right for, I'll try it out first, and I'll try a bunch of different variations for it. If I feel it's really not solid quality enough, then I won't necessarily send it, or I'll just pass. But I will try everything. I will absolutely try anything and everything. 
and fail. And then, like I said, you know, I, I might not be able to do that audition well, but I, I've got a brand new character I can put in my pocket for the next one. Yeah, so rarely you get to do your own voice. You know, like, I, I never get to use my real voice, like this one here. Hey, it's Wayne Newton. That's, how you doing, Hey, Wayne? how you doing there? It's good that's to see good you. It's good to see you over there. Hey. That's Wayne Newton, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that's absolutely, both are right. You know, you, you will get typecasted uh, as your voice sometimes, and there are certain what they call a wheelhouse of what you do, and that's great to explore that or maybe go in different routes of that thing, but I agree with, with you there. It's like you gotta go do something a little different, always be learning, always stretch, and um, you'll create a new character uh, halfway through, or they'll become aware of you doing other things. It's, it's amazing, I mean, they, powers that be start to learn what you can do. I got in, I think I had to scream my way in, doing so many video games and creatures and yelling, and then finally it's like, oh, I get to now do comedy characters. That's what I came in to do, or music. And you're like, that's what I started with. But it's like, you, you know, you, you kind of get in and see where they want you. You don't get to choose always. But you get to create, and that's really the, that's really the best part. And be bold, too. If you're a new actor, be bold and try something new. Uh, you know, when you are in the studio, if you, know, you feel like you can pull it off. Uh, you, you mentioned the caddy thing, and I mentioned Lee Ron from Gurren Lagann. That's a character that I never thought I'd get to play. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, most of my characters are really gnarly, you know, big-voiced, uh, tough characters. And Lee Ron spoke like this. It was, when you screw it in, give it a hard manly twist, was the first line I read for him. And when I went into audition, I wasn't auditioning for that character. They brought me in for the, one of the leads, one of the tough guys. And I saw that the picture of the character sitting on the desk. And I said, I want to read for that. And everybody said, no, 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 that's not for you. And it was one of my friends who was directing at the time. And he, he just, no, no, that, no, I want you to audition for this. And I begged him. And finally, they let me do it. That was the character I booked on the show. And it was one of my favorite roles of all time. It was amazing. So yeah. sometimes you have to be bold enough to, to stick by your guns and do something that feels right to you. Hey, um, oh, sorry. Oh, wow, voice of God. Where God, is that you? you? I hear God, you. I'm sorry for everything I did. Grandma? <laughs> yeah, um, how is it for the three of you if you kind of, like anyone you can answer, like going from one role to the other, it's like, because you were kind of like briefly talking about it. Is it like a hard process for you? Is it natural to go from like a completely different role from one series to the other? Or do you have like a specific approach, a strategy, or like do you practice certain lines or just like how do you kind of like be cool about it? Well, as a voice director, the most important thing for me to do is to give someone a voice reference for where they are. Because if I know if it's one of these two guys, they're going to have done since the last time I've seen them you know, five to ten sessions of playing other characters, multiple characters. So it's my job to get them back into this world, infuse them right back in to the world by giving them uh, a vocal reference of their character. And that's it. Usually that's the key. And I think most actors' brains work that way, that all they need is hearing their voice and it's like, you're right, it's a teleporter. You know, it's, it's one of these right into the world uh, and right into their uh, their brain because actors' brains have a lot of rooms, you know. So you just got to open the right door, and that is usually through a voice, uh, a vocal reference. But that said, that takes time to develop that muscle memory. I remember very early on in my career working on shows like Digimon, where I'm playing five or six different characters, and I'll have come in from another session. I'll I, I'll have been playing Wolverine for the morning, doing that for the session, and I come into the room. I gotta do this in the afternoon. 
and I wasn't sure what was going to come out before I opened my mouth. And I had to go through the whole scale before I could find that and listen to the reference. When you've been doing it as long as we have, you actually build up muscle memory in there. And, and she can play something for us, and instantly it's right back. That's really all we need is just that little trigger. Yeah, it depends on how many, how long you've been playing the character. So you can jump right into some of them because you're, they're right in there if you hear it. It's funny, you'll always remember the personality of what you played sometimes. For me, I, got, I can't remember how high or low it was, the pitch. Sometimes I forget how low, like with Bullseye, I was like, oh, we're really low. We, yeah, how much texture. There's always things like that. And then there's always a handle that might be a word that'll help you get in involved into your character, like something, a line or two that, that'll lead you in. Yeah. Yeah. Question? Oh, no, no, please. No, great, great question. Last that was a fantastic question. question. No pressure. So part of uh, the charm of Rebels was that everyone was living together as well. And so, you know, Zeb and Ezra and to Steve's point earlier, the same thing happened with Cowboy Bebop, and a lot of that was a family dynamic. So, of all the characters you all have played, which one would you want to live with? <laughs> I don't think I'd live long with Governor Price. <laughs> live with or live as? Live with. Live with. Spike. I didn't play him, but... She does now. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. God, which character would I want to live with? I would Julia. want to live with, with to... Gilman because I love oh, yeah. Gil. I love Gilman too. From Digimon. He gets you in a lot of trouble though. I know that's okay. Yeah. You can digivolve into something cool and we could <laughs> fly and do fun things. Oh man, that's that would be a tough one. It wouldn't be Tank Dempsey, for sure. No. That would just be messy. <laughs> that would just be messy. Oh man, I don't know. I got to think about it for a second. Freddie, you got one? Boy, I, there's too there's too many. I'm, I'm just thinking like yeah, that wouldn't work out. Buff Frog would be fun from uh, starring the forces of evil. He seemed pretty cool. Uh, Damon Barrett, I, I would like from Gears of War because he'd help fix everything for me. That'd be I know like yeah, you, you work that out. Don't worry about it. I got it. You know. Um, who would I like oh, to uh, Yeah, it wouldn't be Starscream. That would be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the one that comes to mind, because we're talking about Star Wars, I got to play a gonk droid once. Yeah. And I think just having a gonk droid in the house would be pretty cool. I agree with That'd that, be, Just too. because they're absolutely useless and they make funny noise, just like me. <laughs> I would serve food on top of it. And yeah, you'd have to make it into a bar for sure. Uh, I think Zara from Critical Role would be fun to oh. sort of... Yeah. Hang out with just because like we could go out and sing to the moon together. That would be nice. You would destroy everything in the house. You would. It would be yeah. great. People, yeah, like Hulk would destroy everything. Yeah. Yeah, I, I accidentally, know. he Terrible wouldn't mean roommate. to. Yeah. Beast, you'd learn something from. Yeah. Beast would be great. Qui Gon or any Jedi, you'd learn something. So it'd be cool to learn, be with someone you learn something from. That would yeah. be great. Yeah. Beast would be kind of strict though. Absolutely, yes, yeah. a bit. But go on, do your yeah, thing. Mind I'm, your manners. I'm just going to watch my shows. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> My shows. And Beast watching Days of Our Lives. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> don't interrupt me. This is me. the part where Claudia leaves him. It's quite terrible, actually. Logan, don't interrupt me. Claudia, don't go. Can oh. you bring more Cheetos when you come? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That might have qualified as the second weirdest uh, yeah, right. question. Yeah. I think so. I think yeah. so. All, All right. right. You two gentlemen, yeah, come, you guys, on come on up and grab your Weird right. question. Is that all we have time for? Is that it? I think so. Oh, that was well, so much fun, you guys. You guys were weekend, so cool. So please come and yes. say hi. Thank come you. on by. Thank you, man. Thank you.
You guys have um, a panel tomorrow or Sunday, Yes, right? let's, let's announce our panels. We're going to be signing all weekend. We're going to be doing Twisted Tunes, all three of us, plus a bunch of other lunatics. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be doing Twisted Tunes. If you have kids, just know that it's going to get dirty. Um, so they, they give a big disclaimer there, and we say naughty things. Not intentionally. It just goes there sometimes. No, it's intentional. No, it's oh, yeah, it's, it's intentional. There. But 100%. your your most beloved characters are going to say awful things. What are you talking about? I know, right? It's going to be terrible, so just go do it good. You might be soiled. Okay. And then uh, Mary and I are going to be doing a master class in this very room, a uh, voiceover master class. Uh, it's going to be just loose. We're going to give you kind of an overview of how the industry works. If you're curious about voice acting or how to get into voice acting, we're going to talk about that in there on Sunday. Or just finding your voice in real life. You don't have to be an actor to find your true voice to get out there and say what you need to say. Yeah, just remembering how to play, and we'll, we'll give you some tips and tricks and really fun stuff. What in there. time? And it's going to be a Q&A. That's going to be 2 o'clock on Sunday in this room. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and Twisted Tunes will be on the main stage tomorrow at 2. Uh, and, Freddie, what do you got coming up? Oh, um, no, I just, uh, let's see here. Uh, I got an, we have an Overwatch panel on Sunday at 1245 at 126AB. So there. That's this. I think I know where I am. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> My tactical visor is operating. <laughs> and if you guys are interested in uh, learning more about voiceover, I am teaching uh, voiceover now online. You can do it from anywhere in the world on any platform. Uh, we choose Zoom, but you can do it on one of these. Uh, and uh, it's a real user-friendly, affordable way to learn about the world of voice acting. It's called bloomvoxstudios.com. You don't have to remember that. Just come by my table. I have cards. Okay, thank you guys so much for having us. Thank you thank for you having for us. Great job. Great question. And may the Ashla be with you. Star Wars geek girl. Geek girls that like stars and sometimes cry.